Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. I am so glad that you have found your way back here, and I promise to try to make it worth your time. Right off the bat, I'd like to thank this week's newest patron. There's one this week, and I'd like to give a shout out to Justin B. He is a returning patron. So, Justin, welcome back to patron. I appreciate your support. And as always, if you would like to find a way to support the show, the easiest way is to head over to bikesordeath.com and you will find lots of ways to support the show, whether you want to be a sustaining member on Patreon or give a one-time donation on PayPal. And there's always the ever so popular Bikes or Death merchandise page. And the easiest thing you can do to support the show is to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. That allows other people to find the show. It lets them know how awesome it is. So add your voice to all the other reviews, all of which are much appreciated. If you would, just take a moment to do that. And something exciting this week... For the first time ever, some companies have stepped up to help support the show. My friends over at Rockgeist are raffling off a custom frame bag every month to benefit various organizations that uplift, encourage, and support underrepresented and marginalized groups in the outdoors. September's raffle is benefiting the bikepacking.com's access fund. Now, this will be an ongoing monthly raffle benefiting different organizations each month. So if you're aware of an organization anywhere in the globe that is big or small that could benefit from donations, please let Rockgeist know. Entering is super easy. All you have to do is head over to rockgeist.com. That's R-O-C-K-G-E-I-S-T.com. And you'll find the inner raffle banner at the very top of the page. Each ticket is $5 and it enters you into win a custom mudless frame bag. This is the same one I have. They are awesome. And if you don't win, don't worry about it. Come back next month and enter again because every month, 100% of the proceeds from the raffle will go to support groups promoting creativity and diversity in our sport. And while you're there, check out my favorite product, the Spacelink. It's the product you never knew you needed, but trust me, you do. I also want to tell you a story. This is a true story. I was on a bike ride, like I always do, and it got a little dark. So I put my expensive sunglasses on my head and tittle tittle rode my bike around the trails. When I got done, I realized that my expensive ass sunglasses were somewhere in the darkness of the woods, in the jungle, lost forever. There's probably a troll running around right now with my glasses, laughing at my misfortune. I don't know about you, but there's nothing I hate more than buying an expensive-ass pair of sunglasses and then losing them. Luckily, I came across an amazing company called Gooder that makes sunglasses that are lightweight, they're polarized, and they look cool. And one of my favorite aspects is they don't cost a million dollars. I actually got five pair of their sunglasses for the same price that I bought my other pair that were like way too expensive. So now I know. Now I know that you can actually get a really good pair of sunglasses that look cool, that don't cost a million dollars. If you'd like to see a few of my favorite pair, you can head over to gooder.com forward slash bikes or death. And they've created a little landing page that shows some of the styles of sunglasses of theirs that I wear. Now that is Gooder, G-O-O-D-R 
gooder.com. Leave out the E. You don't need it. You don't need an E when you're spelling gooder. All right, so do me a favor. Do yourself a favor. Go over there and check out those sunglasses. Head over to gooder.com forward slash bikes or death and see what I'm rocking. All right, all done. That wasn't so bad, right, folks? I seriously appreciate the support, both from patrons and companies that want to see this show continue to grow and be successful. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about advertising and paid sponsorships and yada yada in this episode, because guess what? Today, I am in the hot seat. My good friend Ryan was willing to once again step up and interview me for this episode. But unlike last time, we reached out to you and asked you, hey, what do you want to hear about? So 100% of these questions came from listeners. I appreciate everybody who sent them in. We had a lot of fun. We talked bikepacking. We talked the future. We talked about some personal stuff and all kinds of fun stuff. But all of them came from you. We had a great time. I appreciate the questions. And uh, you know what? Without further ado, let's have Miles Arbor kick off the show with the one and only Bikes or Death theme song. Take it away, Miles. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm sitting here in an Airbnb in Austin, Texas, and my good friend Ryan has come all the way from San Antonio to ask me some very important questions, all of which came from listeners. So I appreciate that. Um, we were talking about the structure and what we wanted to talk about because we've already done this once before. And we're like, let's just ask the people. What do the people want to know? So I think 100% of these questions came from listeners yep. right yep yeah all yeah. of them did so ryan is in the well i'm in the hot seat today and ryan's going to be asking me your questions and i'm going to try to answer them yeah let's do it what do you say we just jump right into them i'm ready i got a beer in hand and feeling loose feeling good yeah cheers cheers <laughs> all right so right out of the gate what are your dreams for the future of bike packing who do you see participating in bike packing in the future uh, and what do you see as your role uh, in the future of bikepacking? Mm, easy one. <laughs> uh, I think, I mean, the future of bikepacking, I think, is extremely bright. Whenever I started the podcast just two years ago, I feel like, I mean, just a lot has changed even in the last two years. And maybe it's just because I'm in it now. And so I'm seeing the demand. People are emailing me and messaging me. And um, so I'm, I'm much more aware of the popularity of bikepacking. That could be it. But just from my perspective, I mean, when I started two years ago uh, and to where it is now, it's just incredible growth, um, specifically like beginners. It's like all the time people cropping up and wanting to find out about bikepacking. I don't see it slowing down at all. I think the way that it has impacted my life and like 
just like a light bulb goes off whenever you find out if you grew up camping and going in the woods and you like like to ride bikes and then you find out that you can put all your stuff on your bike be self-sufficient and the other thing is like one thing that i try to do with the podcast is make it accessible to people like that you know i mean break down those mental barriers that we have in our mind of you know this aleo wilcox or a sophion it's like god damn how do those guys do it well then you talk to a guy like Fixie Dave that I just talked to who rode the Tour Divide on a Fixie and no one really knows about him. I mean, I know a select few do, but I mean, the point is, is that there's amazing humans all over that we can look to for examples. And the podcast kind of bridges the gap between the people doing these epic things to just saying, hey, get on your bike and you could go camp at a local state park or whatever it is. Like it really makes it, breaks it down and makes it accessible to everyone. I mean, there's really nobody we've seen that there's nobody who can't become a bike packer if they want to so the future of bike packing very bright i see it increasing exponentially i have no idea where the limit is but i almost see it as unlimited i think that just as hiking and backpacking has been a rich part of our history especially in america I think bikepacking will, I don't know if it'll be on the same level, but I, I see it becoming like a normal thing where you go into a academy or an REI and I mean, we're already seeing it where you got bikes, you got bags, you got, it's just, it's another category. It's another way to experience the outdoors. Yeah, it's, it's kind of easy to see how there will be that progression and expansion of, of the activity because it just makes a lot of sense. Like it's very simple and it yeah. makes a lot of sense. If you like camping, you like being outside and you ride a bike or you want to ride a bike, it's very easy to just bring the two together. It's a really enjoyable activity. So like I said, I think it makes a lot of sense for you just to see more and more curious people you know, wanting to join in, join in the activity. Because, I mean, I, I've talked to people that had no idea what bikepacking is, and I they wouldn't necessarily be someone who I think would be interested in it, but almost always they're like, well, that sounds really cool. Like, I think I would like to try that. I think I'd like to do that because it's just, it's very appealing. A light bulb. They get, It's like I had that light bulb. You see that light bulb go off in other people when when they realize what you can do, oftentimes what I find is you have to show them a picture because they, they're like, wait, what? Yeah, you know, and they're yeah. pitching a big ass backpack probably on a road bike. I don't know what they're picturing, but whenever you see a bike all decked out with all the bags on there and you're like, oh my gosh, that's genius. You know, I mean, it, like you said, it just makes a lot of sense. So to answer the other part of the question about where do I see bikes or death fitting in? I mean, I think that, you know, bikes or death, is now a media company. You know, I am covering events. I'm uh, talking to people. I am producing bikepacking media. And what I'm seeing is that there's room for a lot more media. I think I think there's more demand for media than there is media to, to cover the demand. So anyway, my but my specific role where I want to fit in is in the growth aspect of the sport is in you know, inspiring people to realize that they're more capable or just make that connection where that light bulb goes off to where they're like, dang, oh, I heard, you know, Alana, the 14-year-old girl that rode a thousand miles self-supported in Alaska at 14, you know, like, 
that's an inspiring story. People are going to listen to that and other stories that I've had and go, and I know they do because they tell me they do. That's what I want to keep doing. I want Bikes for Death to continue to facilitate the growth of, of bikepacking. And I want to make sure that you know, I'm being a good example and a good steward of, you know, what the ethos of bikepacking should be and leave no trace and, you know, appreciating the outdoors and being there for the right reasons. I mean, bike all inclusive yeah. and inclusive. Yeah, very. Yeah, absolutely. Inclusivity is a big, t- big one as well. So I liked what you touched on just a minute ago and you're saying that, you know, you're trying to provide something that's accessible. And so that's also something that's really important is being that easily accessible source of information to inspire people to get into it. That's the thing is what we're doing is not that hard. I've seen beginners do it that haven't ridden bikes. Uh, you know, I mean, anybody really can do this. Um, and yeah, so, you don't have to do the tour divide. You don't have like, to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's cool. Those are those are the things that like inspire us to make us realize that there's other levels. But um, I haven't done the tour divide, and I, I love bike packing. <laughs> I do it all the time, but I've never done the tour divide, and that's okay. But that's a pro. I think that is that speaks directly to the growth of bike packing. The growth is in the recreational, the weekender, the you know gets a trip or two a year, the everyday participant take, yeah. takes their family. That is the growth, you know, yeah, and yes, we're going to we're going to see growth in racing. We'll see growth in routes. We'll see growth in, you know, events. Like we're going to keep seeing all that stuff. But the biggest upswell is going to just be from regular people that are yeah. want to go out and experience the outdoors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they'll absolutely be the bread and butter and the drivers of the sport for sure. Well, if every answer to every question is that long, this should be a five-hour podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we only have eighty-seven questions to go through. <laughs> Good. Um, Part one. <laughs> yeah. Part one of our 10-part series. Uh, so we kind of touched on it, but one of the uh, kind of supplemental questions to that big question was, you know, who is going to be participating? And so you've said there's there's an obvious, like, uptick in participation. Um, do you think it's going to continue to be across the board, people that have never ridden bikes before? Or do you think it's going to be a mixture of, like, you know, somebody that's a complete novice to riding, never ridden their bike, and people that are cyclists who are just like curious about trying a different like aspect of their sport. Like who do you think is going to be kind of make up kind of this new uptick? Yes. All those people. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I can only speak anecdotally to the messages and the people that I interact with. And I know that, I mean, I get a lot of messages from all walks of life who are either, I mean, overweight or, you know, a runner, an ultra runner or, um, a try guy or girl that, you know, was like, man, I never even thought about using my bike. And I just got a message the other day, um, from a, a guy who just commutes. He's just a bike commuter. I, I'm sorry. I wish I remember his name. I say it, but, um, he bike commuted for 20 years, you know, and just never really opened his mind to, I mean, nothing against him, but he just kind of was doing his thing. Stumbled across a podcast. It said bikes in it. I guess he just picked it up and he's like, wait a second, what is going on here? And he's going on his first bikepacking trip soon. And he's going to be writing an article actually for Bikes for Death um, that we're going to publish about, you know, a newbie's uh, experience bikepacking going from commuter to that. And there's another girl, uh, Amanda. I can't remember her last name, but um, again, she's another one who is actually, as we speak right now, on our first ever bikepacking trip. I get messages all the time from people all over the world who are hearing the podcast specifically, I know, and using that as a way to, I really think, just open up their mind to a 
a different way of using their bike. The bike is a wonderful tool, almost unlimited possibilities that you can do with it. And once you start realizing that and you get away from this, um, this lycra, you, you know, you have to wear a certain clothes and you have to be in a kit and you got to race. And yeah. again, I'll say this many times, nothing wrong with that. The point sure. here is accessibility, making it super easy for anyone to just jump on any bike and go ride it and any way they want to, you know, uh, that's yeah. what I'm all about. It's just like you ride your bike the way you want to ride your bike. And that's great. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's why, bikepacking lends itself to inclusivity so well you know is you can kind of just do it however you want to do it there's not really just by you know by its nature like it's not really telling you that you have to do it one certain way no i mean that's what one thing that i gravitate towards is it's almost more respect not respect but i mean it's kind of the culture is to do it your way is to you know rig up the bike in a way that it will be the tool you need to accomplish the type of riding you like to do, mm-hmm. you know, and that's everything from the Tour Divide to the Colorado Trail. Just, I mean, in terms of vast difference in types of terrain you can ride. I mean, it could be road. You could bike pack on the road. I mean, I yeah. guess it's closer to touring. Tour, but, touring, yeah. But I mean, if you, I don't know, you could hop off. A lot of times there's roads as connectors and stuff, but that's the yeah. point. I mean, there's lots of different terrain and depending on where you live and the type of terrain you like to ride, there's lots of ways to rig up your bike and yeah, I, I I like that, and I think a lot of other people do too. Is there's not this already set image of what a mountain biker is, what a road cyclist is, what you know, because a fixie kid. You know, if you say these terms, you're going to immediately conjure an image that everybody is familiar with. But if you say a bike packer, it's a different thing. You know, there yeah. is no one. I mean, there's kind of you know some similarities from right. you know, but I mean. Right. That's why Reader Rig on bikepacking.com is so uh, interesting to read. Um, yeah. They they go down to everything like what is in this bag? What do I carry in this bag? What kind of light am I taking? What dynamo? What tire? What what, you know? I mean, and everyone is different. They'll do 50 bikes, 50 different riders and they're all completely different. Well, maybe not complete, but they're all different. So, next question was uh, what was the genesis of bikes or death? Was it just some kind of circumstance? Or was there like a specific bike ride that inspired it? What brought it all together for you? It's a difficult question to answer in that, as cheesy it may sound, I feel like a lot of my life has been pointing towards this. You know, like I feel like at the age of 14, I was trying to get my Eagle Scout merit badge and I orchestrated a bicycle rally, which I don't think many people do anymore. But back in the day, this would have been 94. I got Walmart to let us set up like a cone obstacle course where we did like bicycle safety. We had police officers come that taught, you know, hand signaling and how to, you know, ride your bike in traffic safely and what the laws were. Um, Aggieland Cycling came and they did uh, bicycle tune-ups and showed you how to repair uh, a tire and stuff. And it was obviously geared to kids, families, that kind of stuff. And we had over 100 people come, you know, and that was when I was 14. I got on the radio at 14 and was uh, doing uh, like announcing and they gave me free space on the radio. And my parents, they didn't help me. I didn't, you know, my parents like, you want to do this, you do it, you know. And so, I mean, I did that at 14. I was a leader in Boy Scouts after that. I mean, I went through the Boy Scout program and then uh, went back as a leader. So, I mean, I've just had a love for the outdoors 
a love for maybe even facilitating people being in the outdoors, you know, being there and, and helping people access the outdoors from a really young age. So, I mean, fast forward many, many years, still having that desire to, uh, to do that. I legitimately just started looking for a way that I could pay back to this community. Cause I, I just felt like I, well, I know I've been the recipient of a lot of people who've gone before and done really good things and only out of the kindness of their heart or their love for the outdoors or whatever it may be, you know, these people aren't, most of them aren't getting paid a lot of money or any, it's just like very passionate people who have, I mean, we could talk about John Muir or Roosevelt or anyone. I mean, people who I just, I mean, all the way up from there to just people who, someone who made a route. I mean, I just, I owe a huge debt of gratitude for everybody who's come before and made the outdoors accessible in any way. So what was the genesis? The genesis was simply looking for a way to give something back to a community that I love. And it went through different variations of a blog to YouTube to just Instagramming and try to like, you know, I was just looking for a way to share my experiences and hopefully inspire some people to have the same types of experiences. I mean, you know that I like try to get on the city council or the city board for bicycles in my local community and volunteered with locals. I mean, it's just, it's just that passion, that desire to give something back. It's as simple as that. And, and looking for an opportunity to do so. The Genesis was, I, where did the Genesis start? I don't know, you know, is a simple answer, but you know, specifically to bikes or death, I was looking for an opportunity and I was introduced to podcasts probably about five years ago. And that really, 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 to me, satisfied something else that I was looking for in my life, which was getting away from social media, shouting matches mm -hmm. and memes and surface level conversations. And something that I really grew a, a disdain for was the, was the fact that we as people are losing the ability to communicate. And it's very, very difficult to find good information, to find even uplifting information. Or, I mean, it's just, there's so much negativity. Um, and I found personally a lot of comfort or just like, it was nice to know that I could like tune in and listen to experts talk for hours unedited about any subject on planet earth. And you're, you're listening to a freaking expert if you choose to. I mean, there's all kinds of podcasts out there, but those are the ones I gravitate to. I'm always wanting to know things. I have a curious mind, a hyper curious mind. I want to know the reality of your situation. I don't want to know what, what a meme was. I want to understand the facts that led to that meme or, or whatever. I mean, there's a million scenarios we could throw out. But the point was, the point is, is that when I learned about podcasts, I don't know, it, it, it just clicked with me where, you know, you may read a book, you may read 10 books with my lifestyle, always moving, uh, don't have a lot of downtime. I can consume podcasts while I'm riding a bike, while I'm doing chores around the house, whatever. So it's satiating my curiosity. It was just kind of a natural progression of personally having podcasts have like a really profound and good impact on my life really growing an affinity towards them, believing in them as a way to deliver information and being an anecdote to this shitty groove that we found ourselves in with communicating with people. Um, and 
I don't know very much. Like, I mean, for people who don't know, like I dropped out of high school and never went to college. I mean, not to downplay myself, I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years and I've got other kinds of smarts that I've learned over time, but I don't, I didn't go to school where I could like wax poetically about the polar ice caps or anything like that. <laughs> what I have is a passion to be outside. I've derived a lot of pleasure from it. I know the impact that it can have on my life. And so bikes for death. Yeah, well, to say another word about, you know, the value of podcasting is I think one of the reasons that we there, we see such a big uptick in their popularity over the past several years is, you know, precisely what you said, like, there's a huge void amongst people in the way that we communicate, you know, we, we give each other these little flashes of ideas over social media, you know, if we give you these little flashes of our opinions, and we have 30 second conversations or you see somebody on, you know, a news outlet giving, you know, their one minute spiel about, you know, some, in reality, some like super important topic, yes. you know, like some global issue that some, an expert is giving like 30 seconds of, you know, their time to. And it's like, wait, what, what, like there's this really big deal. And like, I only get to, you know, hear you talk for 30 seconds about it. And so podcasting is, in my mind, seemed to kind of satiate that, you know, and this is something that a lot of podcasters talk about is like, you know, we're going back to having good conversation where we can flesh out ideas, good and bad. And yes. we can we can try our best to put out good information and filter out the bad and really get at the heart of communicating with one another and knowing one another. That's the thing is like we have lost the ability to allow people to be wrong. Yeah. And, or, yeah. Or, and allow us the ability to allow ourselves to be wrong. You yeah. know, like I, you said that so well is being able to have a conversation and flush out ideas, good and bad, with the goal of letting the best ideas rise to the top. It's yeah. okay to be wrong. Yeah. It's okay to have a conversation. And we really need to be. And again, I'm in cycling in the outdoors, and but the, there's important stuff there. There's people who went before the yeah. set aside land for public use who we owe a great deal of gratitude towards so the corporations don't come and mine the fucking shit out of it and use it as a resource like they always did before that. The more you realize the value of that, we need people to utilize it, to recreate, to do it in a responsible way and advocate for the outdoors, or there's still those corporations out there. I mean, we see it with Bears Ears. I mean, we, we know that there's corporations that will easily come in and take those resources and use them for corporate good yeah. Yeah. or bad. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I mean, back, you know, back to the, the note of podcasting, you know, I think that, um, <laughs> yeah, we get off on tangents pretty easily, which is fine by me, but kind of going back to where, you know, Bikes or Death fits in, you know, is you definitely have this really special and unique opportunity to give the cycling community as a whole that outlet where they're not just exchanging memes on uh, Instagram about how Strava is dumb and or Strava is great or, you know, whatever <laughs> people's opinions on certain parts of cycling culture is like you provide the opportunity for people to sit down and really talk about it like you said it's okay to be right it's okay to be wrong like and we live in a time where it's not okay to be wrong like you can't say something wrong you can't you on know. the bikes for death podcast yeah and but you know, yeah i exactly. say wrong things all the time yeah yeah i mean everybody does and the best you can do is just try to make amends for it and you know try to make it better you're right i don't i i mean it's not exactly bike related but i do believe that is important is the art of conversation being able to listen, talk to the other people. And I'd also like for the listener, 
there's a benefit there because at least when I listen to podcasts, you can be listening to two different points of view and you can be like, oh, I agree with that. Oh, I agree with that side, mm -hmm. you know, and you're kind of like you're helping to shape your own. You don't have to agree with one all the time or the other all the time. It's just yeah. it's the idea that people are fleshing out complex ideas and you realize that people are complex. Situations are complex. Nothing is as easy as just a, a meme for me. You know, there's always just more. And so, I mean, again, you know, for me, bikes, the outdoors, this is the thing that like it's the thing that brings me the most happiness in life. It's the thing that brings me the most joy. And so I want to, I want to share that. I guess that would be the other point is just wanting to give people a, a good outlet, you know, a media outlet that is inspiring, uplifting, helpful, useful on a lot of ways from the level of conversation to hearing stories from people so that they can realize that, Oh, okay. They, you know, I could maybe do that too. I think so far, you're accomplishing that. I think I can say that with confidence. I feel very successful. All right. I mean, I feel like beyond successful in terms of what my goals were for what I wanted when I started the podcast to, you know, the fact that thousands and thousands and thousands of people are going to listen to this in the first like seven days. It's like, it's crazy all over the world. They're going to, they're going to hear this. And, uh, I mean, I feel the weight of that responsibility, you know, like, I take it seriously. I want I want to be a good resource for people. Fun, entertaining. I want to be perfect. That's all I want. <laughs> <laughs> good luck. <laughs> That's my goal. So this next question I think is a really good one and one that I really liked a lot. And it's how do you balance family life and the bikepacking life? Um, you know, how do you justify or feel about, you know, leaving family behind for an extended period of time? You know, with, of course, the consideration that we all have a need for, you know, personal recharge and personal, you know, care, self-care is kind of a popular thing right now. So, you know, there's obviously that importance for taking care of yourself, doing things for yourself. How do you balance that? Well, I guess it's two questions. So the first one is, how do I balance it? I get this question a lot. I think it's an excellent question. And again, I can only speak from my perspective, but I can say that, I have worked very hard to curate a life that allows me to go and travel. We're in Austin right now on a little weekend trip that allows me to go and, and do something like this and, and hit a quick reset button. Like it's as simple for me as realizing the value that it has, like legitimate in my life, my mental health, my physical health, just you know, detaching from the stresses of work and family. I mean, family's hard. Having kids is extremely hard. Any parent will tell you it's not an easy job. And so there's a balance there, right? I mean, that's the question is what is the balance? And I mean, I guess everybody has to find their own balance of, you know, how much you can be away from the family and your job and, and get, you know, your fix to take care of yourself, which is hugely important. So, I don't know if there's an easy answer. I can just say that I have worked, gosh, I've been probably working at least a good 10 years on getting to a point where I am now. And it's just been a progression of making choices. I've eliminated a lot of, I, I used to have a lot of hobbies. Now I have like one hobby, <laughs> you know, time is limited. So you just have to figure out the things that really are bringing you most value figure out the friends that are bringing you most value, like whatever it is in life. Like that's just the way I look at it. Like, what value is this bringing to my life and trying to eliminate the things that aren't adding to it? I think that's the best answer I can give because everybody's, every situation is going to be different, but I would acknowledge, like you said, 
taking care of yourself is vitally important and you need to do that so you can be better at your job better at your being a father and and better a spouse and all and all that stuff so yeah it just takes a lot of work get to prioritize yeah it's definitely uh, one of those things that you know you're gonna have to work out between you know you and your significant other you know i mean not not that I'm a therapist or a counselor or anything. so, But in my life, it's definitely been one of those things that you have to come to an agreement on with your husband or wife or partner, you know, because while activities like bikepacking are, as we've already spoken to, you know, very valuable and, um, you know, intrinsically valuable and they have a lot of, you know, rewards for, you know, the human spirit and for, you know, the people that participate in it. It can also negatively affect your life. I mean, if you are, if you don't have an understanding with your family, you know, your spouse, your partner that like, hey, this is an activity that I partake in and this is how I want to participate in it. This is how much I want to participate in it. And y'all can discuss yay or nay and you can, you know, figure it out. But I think the worst thing you could possibly do is just assume that whatever you want to do is hunky-dory and just go and, you know, don't come to that agreement with your significant other. Okay, well, yeah, I'm not going to give marital advice, but yeah, talk yeah. to your spouse yeah. <laughs> too. Yeah. But I mean, the way I would frame it is, you know, uh, it isn't just going for a bike ride. You know, it's more than that. And so for some reason, like if you're like going to the gym, you're like, oh, I got a workout plan and I'm going to the gym Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And you tell like, I mean, this is just my own anecdotal experience, but like if you tell people at work that you're going to the gym, it's like, oh yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, I'm going for a bike ride. Like, oh, you're just going to go ride your bike around. Yeah. It's like, it has a different, and I've even found with like partners are like, oh, you just want to go ride your bike. And that's where the conversation needs to be more like, this is why I'm doing it. Yes, I love it. Yes, it brings me a lot of joy, but these are the reasons why it brings me a lot of joy. This is why I need it in my life. And question was balance, how we find the balance. Well, yeah, you need to talk to your partner. Yeah. You need to your partner obviously needs to respect you and love you enough and care about you enough that they want you to have that release. Right. And but then then finding that balance of fitting it in, you know. It's hard with kids, it's hard with families. That's that's another complicating part. I mean, a lot of the people that you see that I interview do this, a lot of them don't have families, you know. It's a yeah, it's a complicated thing. Yeah, and I think now it, the complications of it are only heightened with COVID-19 and people trying to be good and stay away from other people, keep your distance from other people, or stay close to home with their families. Like That's kind of been a limiting factor for me in, in taking bikepacking trips is just not wanting to be away from family during time when there's a lot of uncertainty. and When I was answering that question, I wasn't even thinking about it specific to bikepacking, although maybe I should have. But well, I think, it, apl- I think it applies to anything. Well, I, mean. I, th- I mean, what I would like to say, I mean, making time for it, I would even prioritize, I do a lot of night riding when the kids go to bed, take an hour or whatever. You got to squeeze in even if it's like only an hour a day or hour, hour every other day. But just getting like a little reset, just a little, a little something goes a long way and not only relying on big trips to satiate yeah, that, yeah. that itch and that need. 
I've experienced the same thing. I mean, not many people are able to recreate the way that they're used to. And it's been hard for me. I derive a lot of satisfaction and self-benefit to my myself by doing those things. I try to always shift my perspective. I'm kind of an optimistic person. And so I'm like, okay, cool. Well, like what's in my own backyard? Like what yeah. are the resources that are like closer to home that I'm not tapped into? Sarah and I, we just, you know, a couple weekends ago, we just scouted a new route in East Texas. We got in the truck and I just drove around and it's like, okay, something we can do close to home, check out some new routes or roads and put together a route and so yeah just changing it's just a little bit of a change to what i might be wanting to do but i mean i think you hit on something important it's that when you're finding this balance between family and your activities and your own personal health and well-being like you said you don't have to spend you know a month or however long riding the tour divide like you know i mean just to get some kind of satisfaction out of you know participating in a recreational activity we used to go out to Sam Houston, you know, we would drive 40 minutes, you know, from College Station, park the truck and just go do an overnighter or a quick ride. We were done, you know, what do they call it? 24 hour trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so 24 hour, that's what I was looking for. Yeah. And so it's like, you can do these little things where you're not like, you know, quote unquote, leaving behind your family or whatever else, you know, you can do quick, easy stuff. You know, another one about the family is take your family to the campground with you. Yeah. You bike pack to the next campground and then your family meets you there. Yeah. You know, I mean, there, you know, it's again, it's another level, but it takes a prioritization of it. Yeah. Getting the family on board, whatever it is, you know, yeah. and you have to be purposeful about it. For a purposeful sure. life. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think it's also worth saying that, you know, best case scenario, you get your family involved. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, that that's kind of, nobody says that. That, like for instance my wife she's not a bike packer you know she likes to ride bikes around the neighborhood but that's perfectly fine with me like she doesn't have to be a bike packer she doesn't have to be super interested in that stuff but she likes camping and she likes spending time with our family so hey let's figure out a way to get all of us involved and we can all you know participate in it in one way or another so i think that's something important to look at too you know it's it's good to do things on your own and have your own alone time and your own activities but Instead of looking at it as like, well, how do I like leave the family behind and go do this thing? You know, I guess if you like your family enough, <laughs> anyone you want them to be involved, you know, try to work out a way where you can do it together. And if you're one of those families that you see on bikepacking.com that are like doing the Baja Divide together, then well, <laughs> even better, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a whole new kind of interesting and special experience. Absolutely right. I mean, that's one thing that I think that this podcast and just more media is good at is we used to only have the examples of, you know, you'd only hear the stories of the people who do epic stuff. You don't hear the stories as much yeah. about the family that, yeah. you know, went to a local state park. And but that's the stuff I like to talk about, you know, yeah. but like those, the, I don't know, that's the connection right there. That's like taking the, the big idea and boiling it down. Yeah, you just need examples, like having examples of other people that do it. Yeah. Is, we know that. We know that whenever someone breaks a record, they're like, oh, my gosh. And then three more people go and break the record or what? I mean, it's just people need like an example a lot of times yeah. just know other people are out there doing it and then they're like oh okay i can do it too yeah and it goes back to what we were saying earlier i mean it's the bread and butter of the activity really i mean it doesn't matter if it's bikepacking or road cycling you know there's more road cyclists that are just like your neighbor next door you know your average person than there are like elite 
road racers. I mean, they're a very small portion of like the cycling yeah. population. So, you know, again, this goes back to, you know, offering that accessibility, you know, it's that showing people that you don't have to go on Instagram and compare yourself to somebody who is riding the tour divide, because the reality is you may never be that person. And so there's no, like, maybe you will be, but, but maybe you won't. So find your happiness Yours, in the activity, yeah. you find your style or your place in the sport. And if it's taking your kids to the state park five miles down the road and spending the night, like, great, that's good. Like, that's, and that's maybe awesome. That's, I mean, I make an argument that's more impactful. Being, being an active parent, you know, raising your kids with those kind of opportunities, Yeah, how is that going to shape them in their future? I mean, what kind of longevity is that going to have? I mean, I... Yeah, it's definitely played a role in my uh, life. Of course, I can make an argument for professional cyclists that they get a lot of people in the sport too. So, I mean, it's all good. Like yeah. you said, yeah. like you said, find your. Ha- I I can't pick a side because I'm I'm for all of it. Yeah, but that's the point is giving those examples and having them readily available so that people yeah. can can realize that yeah, I don't have to be a Alexander Houchin and and go like single speed the tour divide. Like I can just be a cool dad that takes my kids out bikepacking, camping, s'mores around the fire. Absolutely. Hey, what's that bug? What's that tree? Let's go swim in a river. Yeah. Those are beautiful. I mean, as a parent, I'm crying, tearing (laughs) up. I mean, you know, having those experiences with your children are equally as, as valuable probably. That makes me think, you know, definitely don't view how other people are participating and let it limit you because you're thinking, well, I'll never be that, you know, yeah. because that's a, that just in general, not just for cycling, and that's just a, not a good way to live, period, whether it's cycling or bodybuilding or I would racing say, cars or, you know, whatever. It's just I've a, always viewed stuff like that as just inspiration, like not a look at that and I wish I was that. Yeah. But I like to... And not everybody can do this because some people look at social media and stuff like that, and it can be a really depressing thing for them. But if you can use it as more of just an inspirational thing and realize that everybody that you see has worked very, very hard probably to become good at what it is that you're seeing them do. That is one of my favorite things to do on the podcast is to really break down what some of these like elite athletes do and help people realize that the only difference is that they didn't have a job. They lived in a tent. They lived in a bus. They never had kids. You know, they ate rice for, you know, months yeah, you, on you end. You don't always see the whole story. That's yeah. the point, man. It's yeah. like you just see that somebody did something yeah. and you're like, oh, I wish I could do that. Yeah. But to be able to talk to him and be like, well, I worked my fucking ass off yeah. and it took me years and years and years and I sacrificed, sacrificed a ton. so yeah. much. But again, that were, I mean, it just comes back to prioritizing what is important to your life. Yeah. And they prioritize that. They prior- yeah. prioritize that big ass trip, that race, what it was. And they sacrifice friendships. They fr- yeah. sacrifice, you know, yeah. lots of stuff. Their future career, maybe. Maybe they're not yeah. like working on a career and building a 401k right now. I mean, yeah. who knows? So. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like we said, they found their own way to do it, just like the mom or dad who yeah. takes their kids to the state park found their way it's to all do good. it. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, don't don't be limited. So kind of on that uh, note of family bikepacking uh, balance, uh, the next question was, uh, what advice do you have for someone uh, going on a bikepacking trip with a significant other? Don't do it. <laughs> um, After I mean, we just got done saying, take your family bikepacking. 
I'm complicated. What can I say? <laughs> uh, I mean, that's a complicated question, obviously, because uh, every relationship is different. You know, there's so many variables there. Does your partner cycle? Do they like being outside? Is one of y'all faster than the other? Do y'all, you know, do you get along pretty well or do you fight a lot? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so many, so many factors there. But like, I mean, I've talked to enough people and I've been a couple on on rides and stuff and you know, the biggest advice or the best advice that I've ever heard, and I think I think it makes a lot of sense, is you don't have to ride together. Yeah. You know, you both have the route. Hopefully you should both be fairly competent, you know, and 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 whatnot. And I wouldn't get too far apart. I mean, you should still be I mean, my thought is if you're riding with a group or with a partner, you should still be peripherally aware and you know, not get too far away and kind of stuff. But I mean, you can ride a mile apart or half a mile apart, still see each other and be able to listen to music or meditate or do whatever, you know, be whatever space you want to be. And so that's an easy way to avoid, you know, a lot of stuff. The other thing that I've heard from a lot of couples that do this is it's rare that two people are in a bad place at at the same time. So mentally one, you know, maybe having a really good ride and the other one is is struggling that day. And so just be, be a a partner and like help that person because it helps everybody. I mean, get the other person be like, man, look at where we are right now. Could be stuck at work, but we're here on top of a mountain. Yeah, it's hard, but you know, we're here. Let's eat a cookie. Let's, you know, take a break, whatever, set up a hammock under a tree and take a nap, whatever you need. But like, be there for that partner and uh, and and be a resource for them and not like feed into that because if you get if you get two people who are going down a negative spiral especially in in like a remote area it's just not a good thing and if you're gonna go and be self sufficient the overriding thing for both people is the safety and the safe completion of what you're trying to do and so getting both people to the finish line should be a priority and not you know fighting over you know, whatever it might be. So yeah. Any, do you have any advice? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's probably pretty safe to say that you should have a good and strong relationship with the partner that you're going with that, you know, y'all have that relationship where you're building each other up, have the willingness to help each other out, you know, and not get flustered and mad. And cause no matter if it's bikepacking or any kind of trip or event or you know activity that you're doing that's taking a lot of mental fortitude a lot of you know physical strength you know people tend to get cranky i mean people get upset you know some people are euphoric and everything's hunky-dory but sometimes when you're under a lot of physical stress or mental stress you can get you you can get grumpy you know you can get stressed out you can have anxiety and so making sure that you have a relationship with that person that partner where Again, like you said, you're not just going to go into that downward spiral. And, you know, just just being aware of your partner. Like, if you have a partner that's not interested in going bikepacking, don't, t- don't take them on a bikepacking trip. You know, don't force them to go on a bikepacking trip. Especially something where you're going to be, like, doing something really difficult and something that's, you know, strenuous on your relationship. I mean, for me personally, I wouldn't do it. it seems um, ill-advised. Yeah, it just seems, it seems ill-advised. And so just because you don't... I think a willingness is the most important thing on your partner. Like they don't even have to be an athlete, but 
if you have that willingness and desire to be out there, that's going to carry you further than everything, you know, because it's going to be hard. I mean, something's going to go wrong. You're going to get tired or hungry. That's a given almost unless you do something really, you know, mild. But yeah, it's probably going to be a little bit hard. Yeah. And I, and I think also it's important to remember that, like, you don't have to have a partner that wants to go bikepacking. You know, don't let that limit you or don't let that get you down. You know, I mean, like I said before, my wife doesn't bike pack and I don't think she has any desire to and that's fine <laughs> like that doesn't define our relationship you know um, if whether or not she is interested in the same activities that I am in you know but she's supportive of me and she builds me up and she encourages me you know in my endeavors and so that's what's important not so much that like you drag along a spouse that y'all are gonna like kill each other you know, over a, over a trip, you know, it's more important that you have a, again, I'm, I'm acting like I'm a marriage counselor here. I really have no idea what I'm talking about outside of my own relationship, but you know, I just think it's important first and foremost that you have, you know, a strong relationship. I don't think you have to be a marriage counselor to know that. I think you're pretty safe. That's kind of my, my take on the issue. You know, yeah, I mean, I, and you should be speaking more than I should. I uh, I have two ex-wives, so uh, me giving advice on riding with partners or can any kind of like relationship advice is probably ill-advised. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we can be honest about it. I'm right? just like, don't ride with them. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have to ride with them. Yeah, no, but I mean, I th- I think that what you said is, is yeah, important. I'm though kidding, I mean, I'm kidding. yeah, is you know make sure that you are both of you are putting yourself in situations where. You know, you have the you you can build each other up and you can help each other and you kind of have that understanding because you know and people say this about all kinds of activities and you know married couples or partners or whatever you really see what your relationship is when you're under stress you know like when you're in crisis or when you're you know angry or stressed out or there's a problem like you really see you know who um, who you really are and. Fortunately for me, it's nothing that I've experienced on like a trip or anything, but I've been told stories and talked to people where it was like, yeah, our true colors like really, <laughs> really came out. Like yeah, we, were at, sure. we were at each other's throats and yada, yada, yada. And that doesn't necessarily define your relationship. I mean, maybe, you know, y'all are both just really hungry and that, that happens. That doesn't oh, mean yeah. that y'all are like a bad couple or whatever. It's just like one of those things you have to go into with the understanding that, you need to be building each other up and helping each other. I can guarantee you, I know for a fact that it, for most people, it takes practice to recognize that somebody is hungry. As I've talked to people, it's like, okay, I know that I'm mean, thinking of a specific uh, instance with uh, Katie and Henley Phillips where, okay, Katie, you're just hungry. Like, let's just get some food in you and, you know, say some positive things and, you know, be there yeah. for you. But yeah, knowing your partner um, is huge. Yeah, speaking to learning about somebody through, you know, specifically bikepacking, but just, you know, hard situations, you really do find out like a lot about them. And while I can't speak to my successfulness of riding with partners in general, um, I did just take Sarah on a bikepacking trip in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And it was legitimately like we got her a bike and it was her fourth or fifth ride. And it was on a loaded period, bike. like fourth or fifth bike ride, period. Legit. Yeah. Like fourth or wow. fifth bike ride, period. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, never ridden a loaded bike, nothing. Picked a loop off of uh, bikepacking.com that Cass Gilbert put out right out of Santa Fe. 
and uh, it was like listed as a beginner route. He was one of the people that like had his kids like on the route with him. I'm like, okay, yeah, we got, you know, we can definitely do this. It was like 50 miles or something, you know, nothing too crazy. But it was hard. It like turned out to be a lot harder than I was expecting. There was a lot more hike a bike. It was hotter than I thought. You know, I mean, we're from Texas, so there's always humidity. And then obviously it's drier. You're at 6,000 feet instead of 200 feet. And all these things like come together. You're go we're going slower than maybe I anticipated. So all these things come together and, you know, we're low on water and it's hot as fuck. And we're hiking a bike a lot more than we thought we were. And it would just, it just turned out to be hard. Like what I intended to be a, a like fun introduction to the outdoors. Well, not really introducing her to outdoors, but just an introduction really to bike packing and, yeah. and traversing a landscape on a bike and camping under the stars turned out to be really difficult. And it was difficult for me. It was more difficult for her. But I got to give it her credit. I mean, I learned a lot. Of, I told her that, I, I mean, during the day, we just like got through it. Therefore, we took stops, you know, and I did all the things I think you're supposed to do as a partner. I could tell it was hot. We stop in the shade. We drink some water. There's no hurry. We got all day, you know, whatever. But she never complained, not once the entire time. Never, never thought about giving up. You know, I mean, I'm like, we could call in the cavalry. We can do, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. You know, I know I can do it. We just, you know, take it slow, think it through. And so I, it was a very positive interaction of seeing how, one, seeing how someone is really going to act, react whenever it's something as very challenging outside of their comfort zone. When you don't have all the food and water and nice things that you're used to having, and you just throw them out and you're going to learn really quick how somebody is. But yeah, if you can just like be there for that other person and uh, and not let yourself get mentally down, that's the worst thing we can do is get in a mental, uh, like a bad mental headspace, you know? So yeah, stay positive, my friends. And take somebody bikepacking <laughs> on your like fourth date or whatever it is. <laughs> if you really want to find out, that might be a good test. Actually. It's like, if you know, you're a hardcore bike packer, you know, that this is gonna be a part of your life and you know, you want a partner that can do it. Like maybe find out early on if that's something they're keen on rather than getting a year in and trying to Tr like, trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out. Yeah. So since we're still kind of on the, the topic of, you know, family and significant others, this question was, was kind of a cool one. So what's cooler, learning to ride your bike or teaching your kids to ride? Oh, man, that's such a good question. I don't have an answer. <laughs> um, what is cooler, learning to ride or teaching your kids to ride? Probably learning to ride might be the surprising answer. But because riding bikes has had such an impactful and important role in my life. And it's allowed me to be a better father and all that stuff. Like we said, I mean, maybe I would have find a different, found a different outlet. Maybe, maybe not, you know, yeah. maybe I wouldn't, maybe I'd be working an eight to five job that I hate and working out at planet fitness after work, you know, I mean, but as it is bikes have brought a lot of value to my life. And because of that, I'm more active in my children's lives. I'm taking him outside. We're riding bikes together. And really a big motivation for getting my kids on bikes is so that they can go ride with me and that I can, I can continue to do what I like to do and include them because I want to include them. But I will say that when I watched my four-year-old Lila, Lila or my three and a half-year-old Sloan uh, ride away for the first time on their own, 
I mean, that's just one of the most amazing feelings, I think, as a parent, because it doesn't just happen. I know plenty of parents who don't are big cyclists or whatever, who have eight-year-old kids that don't know how to ride a bike. Like, they're not just going to learn. You have to teach them how to, to, how to do it. Um, and so anytime you instill, like you pass something on to your kid and you see them take that skill and, and the, they utilize and they're having fun with it and they're learning and they're falling and they're growing. And to me, that is such a fundamentally important thing about being a kid is allowing your kid to experience life. And through those like little microcosm life events that you're allowing them to experience, they're learning to grow and develop and learning the motor skills and all that stuff. So I take it way more than just like learning to ride. It's teaching your kids how to be capable human beings, yeah. uh, period. And and that's just like one example of how we do that as parents. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like this question because it's, it's really kind of complex, kind of oddly complex, you know, because it's not so much about just riding bikes, you know, I mean, obviously, I, I can remember specifically the day that I took my training wheels off my bike and that I went down the road on the street I lived in without training wheels. I can specifically remember it. And so it's in a way equally as cool to be able to see your kids do that. But it, for me, it's maybe more impactful just because you're getting to you're actually seeing it, like passing that down to someone else and you're seeing the enjoyment that they're getting. And you also have the awareness and the understanding that they are now experiencing what right. you experienced. And it's like, it's it's really cool. And I mean, in general, that's one of the fun things about having kids just as it is, is you get to see everything again new. You know, it's, it's like you get to do everything again for the first time by passing it on. And so... Uh, to me, that's what's been really cool. Like my, my son's, I don't think he's quite old enough and ready to go without training wheels yet, but he's still on training wheels and we're working through, you know, a little 12 inch bike on training wheels and it's hard. It's complicated. Like you can't always get a three-year-old to participate and do things. So it's, it's not like this easy process where you just throw them on a bike and they go on down the road off into the sunset and it's this beautiful thing you know it's definitely complicated but that's part that's part of it right like that's that's yeah. part of the process is like working through the complications and you know teaching them and, and just you know the whole the whole process to me is is really cool and really special it's really important because without that like you said they're not just going to hop on a bike and ride off you know you have to work it takes it takes effort you know it takes you know sweat and tears sometimes yeah i mean they're gonna cry they're gonna fall they're gonna be yeah. grumpy and it's not, not want to do it and it's gonna, gonna bum you out because they don't want to do put it. your hands on their feet and push their pedals forward yeah. and this is how you do it timmy <laughs> yeah and you're like God, it's not that hard just push on the damn pedal yeah i don't want to <laughs> yeah yeah it can be really really frustrating yeah. and you just kind of have to like step back and remember That's that where i give my nod to the parents man you have to yeah I mean, you got to step back and remember, like, they don't know how to do it. So you have to yeah, you have to go back to square one like that. That was something. So uh, my son has had a balance bike for a while now. I mean, we got him a balance bike, like, I think on his first Christmas, maybe, or second Christmas. I can't remember. But we got him a little little balance bike. Probably second. And, uh, yeah, what for definitely not first Christmas. <laughs> second Christmas. Um, and he took to it pretty quick, you know, and he was all about it. And he was, you know, riding around the house and riding around the street and, you know, he was like trying to do track stands like pretty early on, like trying to like, he, yeah. I mean, he didn't know what he was doing, but he was like trying to balance on the bike yeah. just still. Sloan did that too. Yeah. So he was like really into it. And so um, he actually, funny enough, like 
had saved up money that like my mom had sent him like he'd got from birthdays he's like i want to put it in my dinosaur piggy bank or whatever so as a surprise like i went and bought him a bike like a you know pedal bike and here i'm thinking like all right i'm just gonna like set him on the bike and he's just gonna like pedal off <laughs> and i was like no he doesn't even know what pedals are yeah. other than other than like seeing me ride my bike you know he doesn't know how it works he doesn't know what they do so like i have to do it and so it's really easy to get frustrated and be like you just push down on the pedals and you go he's doing he's yeah. like i don't know i've never done this before <laughs> you know yeah so def there's definitely like a level of patience that you have to have yeah so sure. then that puts another perspective on which one is better because you know once they finally learn how to ride then you're over the hump of years of the balance bike and the crying and all that so there's also some relief for you as a parent where you're like okay finally yeah. you can just ride your bike and we can go for a bike ride around the block like that's all i've been wanting yeah yeah oh yeah sometimes uh bike ride around our block takes like you know an hour <laughs> or yeah. more you know just to like go around the cul-de-sac or whatever but yeah it's a whole different endurance endurance sport yeah but you know when i can kind of zoom out i look at it as it all being good like it's all good yeah in those moments like i might be frustrated or feeling impatient but i'm doing i feel like i'm doing the right thing like i feel good about oh, yeah. passing that on you know it's important regardless of how frustrated we both might get or how you know it, it, the zoomed out looking at it you know the bigger picture is obviously it's it's a valuable uh, pursuit in my mind. We're perfect parents. Do it like we do. <laughs> yeah. So we're giving uh, marriage advice and parenting, parenting advice. advice, but y'all ask the questions. So <laughs> not, not us. <laughs> uh, let's see. So kind of switching gears here a little bit, but uh, I think this is another, another good question. Do you ever feel pressured to be authentic for the podcast or does it just kind of come naturally to you? That's a great question. Being authentic can be challenging. I mean, I can only speak from my own perspective, but I mean, as I grow as a person, my authenticity changes, you know, based on as I grow. I mean, who I am and the way I act and the way I carry and conduct myself kind of evolves over time. I've always liked that quote, be yourself, everybody else is taken. Isn't that Ralph Waldo Emerson? You're the quote guy. Maybe. I'm, it might be. I've heard it, but I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure. I hope I'm right on that. But it's it's a very simple quote that but it makes a lot of sense. I mean, oh gosh, I mean, it gets into how far back do I want to go? Let me just say that going back to the value of podcasts and conversation and how much of a disservice, just like an Instagram post with a model or or, or just anyone who's only putting out you know, a polished image of, of whatever it is, you know, and presenting it as reality is, is a problem. And that's something that I started the podcast to be an antidote for. And so, yes, I strive very, very much to be authentic. So I think in some ways it can be easy to be yourself, like, but it can also be very scary to be yourself, you know, like that's probably the hardest thing. One of the hardest things I've ever done is putting out a podcast and choosing to be myself and to be authentic and not pretend to, you know, try to know more than I do or try to be more entertaining than I really am or funnier than I, there can be all these like, it can be tempting. And, I, and I've had to check myself sometimes. Like sometimes I'll like agree with something maybe I didn't agree with, or I'll like pretend to know something I didn't really know, or, you know, I'll listen to it back. And that's where, I mean, I'm just a human and I'm going to continue to try to 
be better, you know, and talk about the things I really know about, share the experiences that are the most meaningful and not, not have any other agenda, but just allowing people to listen to a genuine conversation to people who are just talking about whatever and not necessarily putting on a show or doing anything to, for any particular demographic or anything like that. It's just, Hey, this is just what I think. This is what I feel. This is what I like. This is my goofy ass personality and all my little quirks. And, you know, I mean, the truth is, I mean, I think that the world is starved for that. I think we know that people are, are, desperate for authenticity. We're so sick of, you know, polished everything and, and this this lie that we're telling ourselves that everybody's walking around with this perfect life and nobody's struggling. But it, it's it's harder to do it. So no, it doesn't come naturally. I mean, being yourself is kind of like a natural thing, but you have to be pers- purposeful to, about yeah, it. Yeah, you have to be purposeful. Like I had to decide, am I going to make like, am I going to try to be funny? Like, I mean, you know, all these ideas, like, am I going to try to be more entertaining? Am I going to, you know, I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, I just decided early on, I'm like, no, I want to, I just want to be me. And the, the, one of the main reasons why, I mean, other than for, that's what I believe in. And I think that's the example that I want to set. But also just because if I'm going to have a podcast, I'm going to record for hours and hours and hours. And this being something that I want to do potentially for the rest of my life, I don't want to have to pretend for the rest of my life. Like I want this to succeed or fail based on who I really am so that when I'm doing it, I don't have to fake it. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to like stress about it. Like if people like the podcast and they like me, that's cool. But if not, then I can just go away and it's fine. I'll do something else, you know, but this idea that I have to pretend or put on a show that is way scarier to me than just being myself. So while being myself is scary, it is less scary than trying to pretend to be something else for the next however many years. In that same vein, you know, it takes like a level of of self-awareness and what it means to be your authentic self, you know, and then to kind of let go of all of those worries about if you're being funny enough, or if you're being smart enough, or if you sound like you know what you're talking about enough. And, and that, I guess, to kind of get more at the question, you know, does that come naturally? It's like, well, kind of in a way, no, because like, you have to be thoughtful and purposeful about it. And like, like you said, check yourself. I mean, I feel like we're having a pretty open in honest conversation, maybe that's just the relationship that we have. But for some people, you know, when they're, you know, engaging in conversation, maybe they're thinking too hardly or too hardly. Is that that's not even a word? <laughs> they're, t- they're thinking too much about, you know, like, well, am I sounding like smart enough? Am I sounding yeah. like I know what I'm talking about? And, and I think that's just, that speaks to just the, our, the society quote unquote that we live in now. People are more worried about, sounding like they know what they're talking about than just having an honest conversation. And if you're not being authentic and you're not being honest and you're not being thoughtful or whatever, then you allow that opportunity to say, okay, well, like, how do I go back and actually be authentic? And how do I really kind of get deeper at what I really do think and what I really do believe and how I really do feel about something? So on, on some level, it might come naturally, but you have to kind of work at it. You know, you have to you have to kind of keep yourself in check when you're opening yourself up to someone else, you know, in conversation and, and kind of being vulnerable. So is that is that kind of been your experience? That that's a great way to say it. 
because I had to really, I have to be honest with myself about I'm not a hardcore bike packer. I've only been doing this a few years. There's a lot I don't know. I didn't, you know, I didn't finish high school. Like I, you know, I've had just a weird life where like I, I'm not the most educated person that there is, but it's hard to get me to shut up. I have an insatiable curiosity. I've always kind of been okay not fitting in. Like I've never really 100% fit in and I like standing out a little. You know, I mean, I, I've never really shied away from just being me or, or the pursuit of who I am. And again, that changes over time. But I just really had to approach it with, okay, Patrick, let's take an evaluation of what your assets are, what your weaknesses are. And you know, the good thing about a podcast for me is that I'm super naturally interested to talk to these people. I mean, that's the thing is like, there wasn't media as much media as I would like to see like a real conversation with like the nuts and bolts of how you train or what it's like on day four when you've only had two hours of sleep or I'm just curious. Nobody knows these questions. Nobody, I mean, there's not that much information. So it's a very natural thing for me to want to be curious to find out. I also have always throughout my life gravitated towards intimate conversations while I do very well at talking in a intimate setting with one other person, I do very, very poorly in group settings. Uh, you put me with a few people and I mean, I'm not like super awkward, but I'm, I'm not, I just, I don't feel as comfortable to, I don't know. I just, they, they wear me out. Honestly, they're just surface level conversations where you have to think of things to say. And, you know, you're not really talking about anything too important, you know, and those like really wear me down. And I struggle with those. They're like, there's more anxiety for me there. And we're actually going to probably, I think, dig into some anxiety and stuff. So maybe I'll talk a little bit more about that. But for whatever reason, I naturally gravitate. Like I feel very, very comfortable being in a situation where I'm talking to somebody and I'm asking questions. I'm less comfortable being asked questions, but i um, getting used to it. Yeah. Well, then let me ask you another question. Please. I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> I was hoping there was more. <laughs> uh, so one of the questions was, what has been the role of cycling in uh, kind of helping with your anxiety? How is, you know, how is, how is cycling helped with that? It's a big question. And this is a topic that as I've gone through my life and as I've gone through the podcast, mental health is something that I know I've narrowed my focus on and want to talk about. And I want to hear other people's stories. And I would like to take this opportunity to just share a little bit more about my personal struggle with mental health. And it's a long story, so I'll try to be as brief as possible. But I can, I can tell you, I remember the exact day at the, when I was 14 years old, I was walking away from a little league baseball game, or maybe it was, no, I guess it was above, I wasn't much of a baseball player, but I, anyway, so I was 14, I'm walking away from the baseball game and all of a sudden the world started kind of spinning and I couldn't breathe and I started like hyperventilating and wound up throwing up. Didn't really think much about it at the time, but I remember, I mean, it was like a, a really visceral experience and was like, what the fuck? And then after that, uh, I mean, obviously around the 14, you know, something in my biology chemistry changed and I started to experience severe social anxiety. 
the problem was is I was raised in Mormonism and it was much more Jesus will fi fix you than medicine will. And not to say Mormons don't believe in medicine, they do, but there's still this overriding, you know, God and let me bless you and take the sacrament and, you know, that kind of stuff. And not as much talk about mental health. And, and also that's probably just generational, you know, like my kids are going to benefit much more from me knowing what I know about mental health, being able to identify it in them if they're struggling and being able to help them. You know, my family, they didn't grow. They, you know, my family grew up when the, they're getting beat by their parents as a way to discipline them. Oh, you got you. You don't feel good here. Now you really don't feel good. You know, yeah. uh, I mean, that's a little severe, but you get the idea. So I suffered from severe anxiety until the age of like 32, 33. I mean, so we're talking more than half of my life, at least 20 years of it, dealing with it. And I, I was so dumb. I went to allergist. I tried like inhalers. I thought it might have been asthma. I thought it was a diet. I tried all kinds of different diets. I, I went to all kinds of doctors. I went to therapists. For some reason, actually, I didn't go to therapists. I went to doctors because I always thought it was something the mental health wasn't even on my radar. That's the crazy thing. And that's yeah. why I want to talk about it is because I don't know how I lived to 33 suffering from severe anxiety and, and not knowing it. And to just give some examples, like when I used to do bike racing, I mean, I still remember going my first ever group ride. Part of the reason why I always rode by myself is because I was always too anxious to go and ride with people. I remember the first group ride I ever went out to Lake Bryan. There was like seven people there, and I had a panic attack like halfway through, of course. Every race I ever did, every single mountain bike race I ever did, I would stop and throw up, and it was so intense. I remember one time I was like going to show a house and stuck in traffic, and I was like, oh, shit, I'm trapped. I can't get out, and like had a panic attack. Like It impacted every level of my life. I remember being at a, a, a dinner meeting when I was like 23, and I had to leave and go throw up in the bathroom because I had a panic attack in the middle of like this important business meeting that I was out. You know, it's just, it impacted every level of my life from relationships to being able to recreate outside to work and everything. So, I mean, that's just to maybe give people a perspective of like what I was dealing with and maybe some other people can like relate to that level of anxiety, how I have like fixed it or how I have managed it is twofold. For me, my life was like turned around 180 degrees whenever I got on an SSRI. I take um, sertraline. I can't remember what, what the thing is, but it's sertraline or sertraline. I can just say for me, like, I think it's important that one thing I believe in is every single person is different and you have to really find out what works for you. And I think that taking drugs like that is is a big deal and shouldn't really be taken lightly. But I was dealing with a level of anxiety that was really crippling my life and really preventing me from being in relationships and pursuing the things that I want to do. And I really credit being here today. I mean, I wouldn't be able to sit down and talk to random strangers on a podcast or go on group bikepacking trips and lead those if I'm like having crippling anxiety all the time. And so for me, the getting on a medicine that was like, was good. And when I say good, again, only from my own experience, I still feel emotion. I still get anxious, but it's, it's like manageable. Like I don't, I take that 
that medication and I don't feel it. You know what I'm saying? I've taken Adderall for ADD. That's like freaking crack cocaine. You come off of it. And for me, I was like socially void. I felt like empty inside. And so I weaned myself off of that. I took Xanax for a long time. So when I first found out about anxiety, started taking Xanax, quickly got addicted to Xanax. That's a very easy and I would I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I, you know, my that's a scary drug. I'll just say that. Like for me, that was a scary drug. And having a history with drug addiction, that's something I'm very aware of and I'm scared of. And so I went into my doctor and I was like, dude, I'm taking way too many of these. And that's when he put me on an SSRI. And it's been everything. I mean, it is really, I mean, as much as I hate to rely on a drug, you know, it's just a personal thing with me. Like I would rather fix things holistically. I, I'd write, like to just go on a bike ride and that fixes all my problems. But the truth is I tried that. I tried fixing myself through, you know, healthy eating, diets, exercise. And for me, exercise, because of when I would like exercise, I'd lose my breath, it would send me into a panic attack, which every doctor will tell you is like counterintuitive. But for me, that's, that's just what it did. So, but just because I have that medicine, like I said, it doesn't mean that I don't still feel anxiety. And that's where the bicycling and living a health, healthy lifestyle is still like hugely important. For me, it does more than just curtail anxiety but it gives me the endorphins that I need and the mental boost and the mental release. The way my brain works, like it's always going a million miles an hour. When I'm in movement, when I'm in motion, it just slows the world down kind of and, it'll, and, it, and it like releases something so I can like really relax. And I, for me, that can it, the only place I've found that is when I'm riding a bike that I can achieve that a level of just kind of like letting things kind of relax a little bit more, not always feeling like I need to do something or be reading something or, yeah. or, or whatever it is. So yeah, any, any, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think an important takeaway from that is that like, like we said on other topics is, you know, you just find what is best for you because everyone is different, right? I mean, that that's kind of a cliche thing, I guess. But, you know, everyone is different. Not everyone should be on a drug. Not everyone should rely on, you know, diet. Because, you know, just in terms of brain chemistry, you know, a diet isn't going to rewire your brain chemistry. So, you know, you need to rely on, you know, experts that know what they're talking about to help you in that regard. But, you know, so it's just, it's finding your own way. You know, it's finding the way that is best for you, whether it's, prescription medication that's, you know, given to you by a professional and an expert, or it's a way that you can work it out on your own. You know, I mean, that's, I, I think, again, it's just important to define that for yourself. And for me personally, I've struggled off and on with similar, you know, issues of anxiety. And, you know, I've, I've struggled with some bouts of depression here and there over the course of the past 15 or so years. And for me, and maybe I'm fortunate in this way, but for me, it's always been very easily remedied by physical activity. I went to a doctor, you know, when I was in like high school or just, just after high school, you know, with anxiety and they prescribed me, you know, some medication and I hated it. Like it just, like from the first time I took it, it made me feel awful, like absolutely awful. And I just wanted nothing to do with it. And so I went back and 
uh, luckily I feel like this doctor was, you know, willing to work with me and find a solution. You just said like, like how active are you? You know, are you, do you do physical activity? Like do you eat well, all this stuff. And at that time I wasn't, I was working a cubicle job and not really doing anything healthy. And he said, well, you know, find some kind of physical activity that you enjoy. And I went and bought a bike at Walmart. <laughs> you know, I bought a Walmart, like a Schwinn Walmart bike and just started riding it around my neighborhood. And what I was start- that? That was, did you say when was that? Yeah, when uh, was that? That would have been 2008, 2007, 2008, I guess. Interesting. Yeah. So that was like your reintroduction to bikes as like an adult? Yeah, yeah. Through was, your doctor's recommendation, not specifically yeah, bike, but just Sika. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I grew up riding bikes. You know, I rode bikes with the family with my dad quite a bit and stuff, but I kind of didn't really do it that much through like the high school years and stuff. But yeah, so it was like, like, well, you know, I rode bikes as a kid. Like, I'll go pick up a bike, you know, and rode around. And it was that coupled with, like, I got a gym membership, you know, and I started, like, camping more and going and doing um, backpacking trips and because I grew up camping and stuff, too. So I was like, well, I'm just going to try to go back to some of the stuff that I enjoy doing as a kid, you know. And, I mean, it was night and day. I mean, it was like, for me, when I was engaged in those activities, when I was participating in that stuff, I mean, it was, like, problem solved. It was, like, it was cured, you know, it was, like, done. Like, I'm... It, and for me, I don't, I don't know what it is necessarily, like, uh, systematically. But for me, it felt uh, very much like I was just, like, flushing it all out. Like, yeah. you know, all the things. I call like, it a reset button. Yeah, it, yeah, it's the same concept. You know, like, for me, I have all this stuff going on in my head, all these stressors. You know, I'm not sleeping at night. I'm super anxious. Like, I can't breathe without feeling like I'm having a panic attack. And then, like, I go out and ride a bike or go on a hike or even just sit outside sometimes like just sit outside (laughs) and it's like it it just gets flushed out for me and uh, again you know that's not going to necessarily work for everyone but that's what helps me you know and that's you know generally like if I have a friend or somebody that's close to me and they come to me and open up about you know I'm feeling anxious or depressed you know I'll you know of course I tell them you know you need to find what works for you and you know possibly seek professional help but what's worked for me is you know go for a run go for a bike ride just go outside and just experience something different than what you're used to which is what i did and it was extremely extremely beneficial for me it takes like everything else it takes the work to go through it and my goal with the podcast is not only to like share my story but more than anything to talk to a lot of different people about their journeys because like Pepper Cook said in our interview, it's not a matter of uh, if somebody is dealing with mental, you know, health issues right now. It's, you know, when was last time? When will you again? How can you prevent it? You know, what can you do? You know, everybody, I think on some level is going to have some anxiety, some depression, some, you know, things that they're going to deal with. And one other thing that I wanted to add is trying to live a life that you're happy with. Like when you lay your head on your pillow at night, are you anxious because of all the things that you didn't do? And and see, the problem is with anxiety is you can start to worry about things that you shouldn't be worrying about, right? So then it becomes focus on the things that you can really control. You know, let go of everything. That's what I really try to do is like, okay, this is who I am. This is the time, talent, opportunities I've been given. I'm in this moment. What's the best I can do? And if you just live a life where you're purposely just trying to do your best and you can lay your head down on your pillow that night and you're like, yep, you know, I tried really hard today or maybe you didn't. But then the attitude is, okay, well, now I know that I didn't do very well. That didn't feel good. I don't like that. So I need to do better next time, right? 
And I think, I think, I mean, it's just, it's a lifelong pursuit and I'll continue. I mean, through the rest of my life, I will take mental inventory when I lay my head down pillar at night. Not exactly like that, but I mean, sure. you know, I mean, overall, if you're not living a, a good, healthy, happy lifestyle, you know, what are the things in your life that are contributing to, you know, your anxiety or your depression or what's missing that you could add in and, you know, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And, Again, everybody's different, but the message just needs to be that, hey, everybody, you know, can struggle with this. My excitement comes from there is solutions, you know, there's lots of different solutions that people can seek out. And for a lot of people, I really do think it's as simple as diet and exercise. I think I think for a lot of people that and, and living a purposeful life and, you know, seeking the things that are good and getting rid of the things that aren't adding value. I mean, I think doing those things are a very simple way to having less anxiety in your life. <laughs> oh, man, I could go on because then we could talk about all the things that society says we need, like houses and cars and how oh, that adds to the stress, the debt we get into to keep up with people. Yeah. So then I would go into living a simpler lifestyle, you know, having a simpler lifestyle that's less complicated maybe less friends get rid of some of the ones that you know are shitty or what i mean just i love to simplify life as much as possible and you cut out a lot of that extra anxiety that you carry around you know so i don't know i could talk about this one for a long time <laughs> yeah it's yeah it's definitely definitely a rabbit hole for yeah, sure but it's yeah. a good one and i enjoy i enjoy talking about it, so i appreciate that question yeah. for sure so another question here how much have you changed as a person since your 20s just kind of a quick easy question yeah. there for you that's an easy one. Uh, I mean, like anyone, obviously, I've changed a ton. I mean, just to kind of give a snapshot, God, 20-year-old me was living on a couch at my best friend's house in Denton, Texas. I didn't have a job. I mean, I'd already been arrested five times. I was about to be arrested. Actually, no, four times. I was about to be arrested for the fifth. That fifth time, I uh, wound up being in jail for like a week, which is the longest time I'd ever been. Usually it was just like quick in and out for drug stuff. And yeah, kind of in that moment, being in jail for six days, really, it became very obvious to me that I was not the people that I was surrounded by. So, I mean, for people who haven't been to jail, um, picture a big room with tables in the middle and metal bunk beds affixed to the walls, like double decker all the way around, toilets out in per perfect view of everybody. There's no privacy. It's just 50 guys in a jail cell. And it just became very apparent to me that I had a different life. You know, I grew up a uh, Mormon for people who don't know and grew up, I mean, yes, I, uh, I'm no longer Mormon just for anyone who's wondering. I uh, broke that spell a while ago, which is a whole long story. Um, but I grew up in a really good family. My family was blue collar. My dad worked three jobs. My mom stayed, you know, he worked hard so my mom could stay home and be a mom and raise the kids and, you know, do the, do the whole thing. And so, just to back up a little bit, probably part of the reason why I got into drug use is because of the Mormonism and this ideal of perfection of always having to be righteous and, and all these things, right, that you were taught. And that pressure to live up to those things can be hard. That's something I don't approve of is like, you know, putting all that pressure on young people and 
But for me, I guess I felt like I had a couple options. I could like tow the Mormon line and be like really good boy. Or I was a skateboarder. And so my friends started getting into drugs and that seemed easier, you know, than like living up to the standards of Mormonism probably. And so we could go into that a lot more. But the point is, is like, I had chosen to go down a path, hang out with a certain group of people, but I had a really good family that was supportive and loving and wasn't abusing me and all those things, right? So I made the decision at the age of 20, whatever, that I was going to turn my life around. Like I, I even prayed, actually. I prayed right there in the middle of jail that I would like, it's like, if you, you know, God, if you'll like get me out of here, I'll clean up my life, I'll quit. And no one was coming to get me. My family wasn't coming to get me. My friends weren't coming to get get me. And that, you know, that was another pivotal point in my life where you realize like all these friendships that I accumulated are no longer here. Um, no one's coming to get me out of jail. I'd burn every bridge, bridge with my family. But my brother, I convinced my brother, he was two years younger than me. So he would have been 18 at this time. He went and pawned his bass guitar and his and his amplifier and stuff. And he got like a hundred bucks, which is all the bail was, to come and get me out. And I made him a promise. I was like, dude, if you if you get me out, I'll change my life. Like I will. So I went home and I'll tell you a funny story just to kind of get I think it kind of typifies where I was at. So I go home and I'm going to be good. I'm living with mommy and daddy now. My brother's at home. My sisters are still home. And like the black sheep of the family is, has returned, you know, and I was fully committed to, to, to the line. I was going to be a Mormon again. I was going to, you know, not do the drugs, all the stuff. First week back, set a meeting with my parole officer who I had never met, which is why I had all these other charges because I wasn't going to parole. When I was in that meeting with him, he got a phone call towards the end and in that phone call, he was informed that there was another warrant out for my arrest and he was to take me into custody. And he told me that. He got off the phone. He told me that. And the first thing I did is I just got up out of the chair, bolted out his door. He was on the second story. I jumped and cleared all the steps. I like got a little bloody because I fell and like just burst out the double doors running down the street. I didn't have a car. So my dad was like waiting out there circling around the block. I like ran up to him and uh, he's like, why are you running? I was like, I don't know. Just wanted to exercise. Let's go. <laughs> so I go home and I'm like freaking out. I got another warrant out for my arrest. I'm going back to jail and I get home and I immediately start packing. I'm going to Canada or Mexico. I don't know where, but I'm like going and I'm packing my bags. And while I'm packing my dad bags, my dad gets a phone call and I knew what it is. And so I'm packing faster and he comes back there. He's like, did you just run out of your parole meeting? And you know, he's got the whole story. He knows guy. And I was like, yeah, I can't go back to jail, man. Like I can't. And I knew like, I don't know, things had built up and I was like, I'm going to be in jail a long time. And I was scared, you know, I was scared. And uh, I was I was going to run. But luckily, my family was like, listen, we'll hire a lawyer. We'll like help you. And they they convinced me to stay and to like go through the process. And it was a very, very difficult process. I mean, I had neglected a lot of responsibilities in that time and had a lot of charges built up. And I had a court date that was six months out. And so for the next six months, I lived in my family's house. I would wake up every morning. I would throw a paper out. Then I would go work at Subway from 8 to 5. Then when I got off at Subway, there was one like clothes place that would stay up to like 8 or 8.30. And I would go and donate time there because I had to I had to get money to pay all my past dues. Plus, I had to do community service hours. So I was like, 
I'm just going to do the best I can. And I went to that judge six months later, far short of what I, my debt to be society being paid. I owed way more money. And anyway, that judge like gave me a break and he was just like, he said, I see you really tried. You're going to give you one more shot. I turned my life around. You know, I really took that whole opportunity to just change. At the age of 21, I just sat down with myself and started to reflect on who is the person that I want to be? You know, what are the things that I want to accomplish? And what are the types of friends that I want to have in my life? And all these things, I started to read a ton of books. I mean, self-help books, mental, like, well, mental health books came later, but mostly I was reading about, you know, all the stuff I dropped out of high school and I didn't like learn and didn't go to college and didn't learn. So I started my own businesses and just tried to rebuild my life at a later age, you know, and I've, I've done that a few times since then. So how has my life changed? It's such a big question, but what I've done since then is I, I realize that there's no value in that lifestyle. I mean, that was completely empty. The friendships that I had, I don't have anything to show for it. I don't get a degree. I didn't learn a skill. I didn't learn anything good during that time. And so I know I don't want that. <laughs> I'm kind of a hard-headed guy, so I got to I got to do things, you know, to figure it out. But I just I just have since then taken this idea of who do you want to be? What do you want to accomplish? And then figure out a way to accomplish it. That's something I read a long like back in my early 20s when I was reading all this stuff is decide upon your true hopes and dreams and then make a plan to achieve them. And if the plan is yours of your own making, if you're creating the steps to get there, it, it can be as easy as just doing that. And so as I've gone through my life, it's evolved. It's like, okay, well, this is a priority. A family is a priority or you know, the job is a priority or giving back to the community is a priority or this relationship, you know, whatever it is. And then figuring out how to be good at that, how to accomplish that, you know, the podcast. I mean, if we're going to bring it back to the podcast, that was many, many years of me just looking for an opportunity, um, knowing what I wanted to accomplish, which was giving something back to the community. And then finally figuring out a niche where it resonated with people. And, and here I am, you know, so 20 years, I'm a completely different person. I'm a good dad. I got two girls. I'm not very good at being married. Uh, you know, I've learned, I've learned I'm not good at that. So I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, you just, you go through life and you learn. Um, and I learn the hard way usually, but I've lived both lives and I like this one a lot more. I like trying to be the best person I can again with the time, talents, opportunities that I have. Am I doing the most with them? Am I being a good steward of them? And if I can answer that question, yes, most of the time, or if I'm at least striving and on that path, then I feel good about myself, you know? So what was it like for you growing up Mormon? And how do you think that it's influenced your life up until this point? You kind of touched on it a minute ago, but uh, maybe you can speak a little bit more to that. I don't think I'll touch on what was it like growing up Mormon. I mean, I did talk about, you know, my family was great. And Mormonism is actually one of my favorite topics to talk about in private conversations. And this is a bikepacking podcast, and it's like just not super relevant. But I will say that it has had a huge influence on my life. So to kind of 
put a bow a little bit on that last story that I was telling is, I mean, you know, from 14, 15, up to the age of 21, loser, drug abuser, all that stuff, not really much to show for it. Then from 21 to 28, reintroduced to Mormonism, introduced myself, really toe the line, completely clean and sober, got married to a Mormon, eventually realized that I wasn't digging it. I, I mean, again, we can go into all the reasons, but ultimately decided that it wasn't for me. And that didn't work with the relationship I was in. So that, so that ended. But I can't take Mormonism out of me. You know, the, the cultural aspect of being raised as a Mormon is ingrained in me. And as it pertains to the podcast, I can see some benefits. Like Mormons from a very young age get up in front of congregations of people and talk. I mean, it's uh, every month you're supposed to get up and bear your testimony to the congregation. I mean, you don't have to, not everybody does, but uh, you have that opportunity. And, you know, from the age of eight on, usually, you know, you're kind of encouraged to do that and you have speaking opportunities and it's not a church where you just sit there and someone talks at you. You go into classes and you you talk about ideas and different religious principles and all kinds of stuff. And while I may not have agreed with the principles and stuff, the idea of being comfortable talking and even talking in front of people, I guess, maybe has been a benefactor in my life. And also, I think that sometimes I just get preachy. Like, I think I, I think I have this like very ingrained, like where I could almost be a Southern Baptist preacher yeah. if I'm not careful, you know? Like, I'll go on tangents. And I'm like, Jesus, I'm just like preaching up here. You know, I feel like I'm on the pulpit and I'm like telling the, you know, yeah. the followers, you know, about the glorious life of bikepacking and the joy that it can bring to your life. And so I think that I'm this like weird person who like, grew up like staunch Mormon, very conservative, but also like lived a life of like, you know, mild criminality and like just being a loser and stuff like that. And like associated with that, I've been to jail a bunch and saw that. And so I have like a really bad potty mouth, you know, lack of education. And then I also have this like this religious side that can be like poetic and more beautiful and more articulate maybe and stuff. And so, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just, it all makes up for me. It's, it's just the curious life of being me and I love it. I don't, I don't know. Like, we all have our stuff, you know, it's like, we can't spend too much time worrying about, oh, I was Mormon. I wasted all my life or whatever. It's just, you know, those are all the little quirks that make me me. And I've come to just be happy with being me and that's fine. So w one thing I can speak to and kind of in jest, you know, kind of humorously is, I don't know, this is a common like joke for about Mormons, but I've always kind of taken it to be one. Is it like, they're super nice. Yeah. Like Mormons are just like crazy nice people. For sure. Maybe that's widely understood, but every Mormon I've ever known, like in my entire life has just been like, just this crazy, crazy, nice, kind person. And so, you know, I, I joke with you about how like you're Mormon still shows because of just like you know you're one of like the nicest people i've ever known like you've always been like super willing to help me out with stuff like you've helped me move like two or three times you know so like you've always been like super duper nice and been a good friend in that way to me so growing up like i grew up in a fundamentalist christian environment but i knew mormons you know and i always kind of had an awareness of like mormon culture and mormon people and Again, it was always that, like, there's just, like, these weirdly nice people. And so it was kind of funny for me to, like, 
grow up and grow out of that and then meet you like a former Mormon. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I get why you're a former Mormon, but it's just funny because like, yeah, but you're like the crazy nicest person <laughs> I've, I've ever known. So I like to joke with you about how well, like your, you. your Mormon is showing like whenever you like just like walk and meet a random stranger, you're like, oh, let me help you carry your groceries in. I'm like, oh, you're Mormon <laughs> showing again. <laughs> yeah, you're so, so right. I probably get like a religious high off of like helping people at this point. It's like so ingrained in me. Their whole thing is about servitude and like there wasn't a Saturday I wasn't helping a family move so like you you say you help me move I'm like Jesus I used to do that every weekend growing up like helping a buddy once a year move is like not a big deal but I do I I don't know if it comes from that probably does I mean just good examples of like being nice to people growing up in an environment where people are like pretty nice they respect you and very loving and opening and all that i mean yeah i i like all those things about mormonism i there's good things about other christian religions that are that are nice it's you know you take them on their whole and you know there's things i might have an issue with and you know it's a it's up to everybody to choose the life that makes them happy and i found more happiness outside of mormonism i found more happiness learning to rely on myself to realize that if I work hard at something, I can accomplish something. And it's not just because I prayed about it and a guy rubbed his lamp and the genie came out of the bottle and it came true. And not to you know, dismiss other people. Sorry, I, I shouldn't. The, but the, like, and I can understand the piece there. Like my family is still very Mormon. Like this is not like, I'm not like way removed from, you know, Christianity or Mormonism or anything like that. Um, and I would never want to take that away from my mom. Like that brings her a lot of happiness. I can just say for me, I've gained more happiness learning to be self-reliant on myself, to trust myself, to figure things out on myself and know that I can rely on myself and depend on myself to get there. And then also like good friends are important to throw in there. On friends, I just want to say that like I keep talking about, I've like touched about it a few times, but that's another thing that um, I don't know where this fits into the conversation other than to say that maybe it ties into that time when I was in jail and nobody came is I, I've learned through life the value of having very good friends that you can have really good conversations and and not allowing things and people into your life that aren't adding value. So how hard is it to live in Texas and ride all of these epic routes? And then kind of some of the follow-up questions to that were, you know, how do you deal with the heat and the travel distance? And I take that to mean because Texas is so fucking big to go anywhere, you have to travel a great distance to get there. Yeah. For full disclosure, I mean, the reason I'm in Texas 100% is because I have my daughters from ex-wives. So, if I want to be in their life, I need to be in Texas so I can be a part of their life. That is a priority. That is what I'm doing. And I'm in Texas. And so for that reason, coming home to Texas, being in Texas um, and being with my girls is wonderful. But, you know, this actually ties into Mormonism because like our family vacations were going around to headstones in grave sites looking for our long lost ancestors to do genealogy so that we could give their names to the temple so they could be baptized for the dead. A whole nother, you know, rabbit hole we could go there. But, you know, we did some like backpacking and, and outdoors activity through the Boy Scouts, but the outdoor, the adventure, the travel wasn't really a part of it. Like, you know, people go to the beach on the summer, they go skiing, you know, hear all this stuff. Like, no, mine are looking at grave sites, you know. So I don't know, once I got the travel bug and started to go to all these different places, it's like anything else. It just takes 
the doing. Like I've created a life where I have now two self-employed jobs that allows me to go and do trips periodically, you know, like, but it's taken, I mean, 40 years old, man, I've been working at this for a very, very long time to get to a place where I can carve out a weekend or a five day period where I can go and do it. So how hard is it to logistically do it? I don't know. Everybody's life is different. And so you just have to figure out a way, but like living in Texas and knowing that all that other stuff is out there, I don't know. It doesn't bother me too much right now. Like the way I'm looking at it is I'm like looking for my future base camp because I don't see myself being like sedentary and just like staying in one place. I picture my future life being having a home base somewhere probably centrally located and traveling a lot, you know, and exploring because there's so much cool stuff to see. Um, I don't ever see me getting tired of that. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think my future life, it'll probably be an extension of my current life, except for I'll be living somewhere else and not in Texas. The heat is really hard. The heat is hard. It makes it hard because you got to wait till like yesterday, this whole weekend. Like we waited till seven o'clock at night to go. And I mean, we were still, it was still, still 100, 100 like degrees. degrees yeah. last night. Yeah. And that was, and that, but it's like, that's what you got to do. I mean, if you want to, if you want to go on and ride. So yeah, it's, it's tough. And what I, I like to tell people, I mean, BME specifically, I've lived in the same town for 40 years. I've been riding the same mountain bike trails in that town for 20 one 22 years now same trails are still there right and it's like you gotta really 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 love riding bikes to be to do it as long as i have in the same town in the same place in the heat on the same trails but i love it man i mean the a quote that i heard recently from one of my past guests is growth is better than comfort you know and i i really like that i mean the value I get out of riding bikes and all that outweighs the discomfort and, you know, it makes you tougher to go out there and, yeah. you know, almost die and have heat stroke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm a native Texan as well. and I've lived here most of my life. Just looking at it like on a practical level, you know, there are things you got to deal with here. Heat being one of them. It's real hot in the summer. I think the high here today in Austin is 103 with a heat index of 108, I think it was. Yes, yeah. Yesterday was a heat index of 112. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. So, like, on a practical level, there's stuff like that. Um, Texas is really big. It's a big state. And some areas might not be as desirable as others to ride your bike or go adventuring or whatever. And some areas are. And sometimes those areas are really far apart from one another. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up in East Texas and I like, go, I like the desert. I like going out west. And so you got to drive a real long time to, yeah. get out, to get out west, you know. So on a practical level, like, it's complicated. You got to make sacrifices and you have to, you know, kind of experience some discomforts like driving you have from, to want it more. Yeah. Like you have to want it a little bit more in yeah. Texas. And I mean, lack of public land is a big one. And you that, know, less than yeah. 3% is public land. So there's a lot of challenges that Texas face distance, heat, lack of public land, lack of trails, lack of good yeah. infrastructure with cycling. Yeah. You know, we could go on, you know, so again, you just have to want it more. Yeah. But it makes, I can't say it, good, it makes when you go to other places. I, I bet I appreciate it more than some people that have in their back. Maybe not, but yeah. I can tell you, I appreciate the hell out of it. 
yeah, I think that's a good point is like Texas does have a lot of natural beauty and Texas does have infrastructure and we do have really special public lands here, but it's just not necessarily as accessible as somewhere like in Colorado or Utah or Arizona. And that's for a variety of reasons that are geographic and political, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I think in some ways you kind of just have to want it more and you have to sacrifice for it. And you, d- you just have to be flexible. Like you really have to be flexible living in Texas with the lack of public land. Like when I was living in Colorado, the property we were living on literally shared a fence with White River National Forest. And I would just hop the fence like go or go through a gate on my bike. And I was on like really good purpose-built mountain bike trails. Like they were built, you know, mountain bike downhill trails and stuff. And so in Texas, I don't have that. Like if I go out my back gate now, I'm just like in somebody else's backyard <laughs> in a neighborhood, <laughs> you know? So you just have to be flexible and you have to go find, you know, the good stuff. And, and obviously not everybody has that opportunity, um, which is unfortunate, but kind of like what we've been talking about already is like we want to try to provide knowledge for how people can get that opportunity and hopefully find other ways to facilitate opportunity but i always like to pump up bikepacking roots i mean that is the organization that for bikepackers you should be supporting i mean i'll plug them every chance i get because outside of talking and getting people excited and interested and you know going around the bike we have to be advocating for public access. We need to have a seat at those tables to be part of that conversation so that we can continue to utilize the outdoors. And then we can use our voice as outdoors people and as bike packers to add our voice to protecting these lands to make yeah. sure they continue to be set aside for the good of all people to go and, yeah. and use them. I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of step two and getting sure. people as excited is, but you know, that's, I'm not a politician. That's, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm yeah. far from that. But that's why I like to pump bikepacking roots so much. I mean, you got Kurt Refsnyder. He's a PhD. I mean, albeit geology, but still. I yeah. mean, he's, he's I, I called him a real adult. You know, I mean, he, he's, yeah, he's like, a smart guy. He's a smart guy. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. They, I mean, him and Kaylin Boyles, I want to give her credit to the whole board of directors. I mean, and they got 6,000 members now, you know, like that's a voice at the table. So that, you know, talking about the future of bikepacking, we didn't really touch on that, but and I did touch on the need and the importance of politically protecting those lands right. so that they're, they continue to be there. And maybe being in Texas and not having access to as much of it, maybe it makes that point even more poignant than for other people that maybe that's why I'm so passionate about it. But I am passionate about it. Yeah. And I, th- and I think one th- thing also to add, kind of going back is, you know, not to dog on, on Texas too much. You don't have to have these like epic routes that go through the mountains and go through, you know, the beautiful streams and all of these things. I mean, when you look at a lot of bikepacking routes, especially on kind of more on this side of the U.S., a lot of them just utilize already existing like farm roads and, you know, county roads. And um, of course, a lot of them do go through public lands and the states that do have the privilege of having all of those public lands. You know, you can just make like a 300 mile route and never leave public land, which is nice. But it's also important to remember that the public roads are still public. Like you you own them. You can, you can participate yeah. on, on those roads and recreate on those roads. So a lot of them, you know, like in East Texas stuff that you're looking at, some of that is in national forest land. A lot of it just 
goes through go through and around private property on county roads and meth labs um, yeah yeah going through meth country and <laughs> but nonetheless i mean you know it's it's there it's a resource that is available um so yeah. you know it's important to like seek well, I mean, that, seek that stuff out as well god i mean you know this but maybe people are like yeah i grew up 45 50 minutes from sam houston national forest and i've always been going everywhere else but you know sam houston national forest but yeah, turn the focus inward. I definitely want to highlight what Texas does have because there's a lot of us here and yeah. uh, there just isn't a lot of resources. So that's been another fun thing is specifically the Sam Houston Restaurant Tour has gotten a ton of usage. People message me quite a bit and, you know, as using it as our first bikepacking trip, yeah. most of them. That's a fun one. Oh, I love it. It's easy. And there's 8 million people that live within a 100 mile radius of it. You know, so if you're talking about getting people introduced to the outdoors, bikepacking, uh, that's a great one. There's eight yeah. million people that could, you know, 100 mile drive, hour and a half to get there and they can go and have a pretty great time, you know, in the woods with easy resources there if they want them. They don't need to use them if they don't want to, but it's right there. It's easy. So to kind of maybe wrap this up and, and tie a bow on it, question that came from a couple different uh, listeners and it's probably a question that several of them have is, you know, the big one, what's next for bikes or death? What's, you know, what's on the docket? What kind of exciting stuff do you have coming up? Do you, do you feel like sharing any of that stuff? Oh, heck yeah. It's a, it's a great question. Um, and it's changed a lot. My answer to this question will, will be much different than it would have been if you asked me even a month ago or, or two months ago. A lot's changed in my life. Having gone through a divorce recently, I'm, I just literally found myself sitting with myself, having one of those conversations that I do, you know, what do, what do I want to do? You know, I'm at this like pivotal point in my life and I've been here many times before at different times. And I'm just like, what do I, what do I want to do? What, there's no one stopping me. There's nothing like, it's just me, my, my obviously desire to be a good father and having all that in mind. But, and the, the podcast has become a great source of happiness, joy, um, just satisfaction. I mean, it's so satisfying to do something that I believe in, I feel like is a good thing. I want it to be a good thing. People message me and say nice things. And so I know that it's having an impact. And I never intended when I started the podcast for it to be come my career. I always intended it for it to just be a hobby that I would do on the side, a, a passion project. But a lot of things have changed. I mean, one, going through a divorce and then two, uh, COVID uh, happened. And you know what? Now real estate isn't exactly the best business to be in. Like I don't, don't get as many phone calls as I used to to buy and sell houses and stuff. And so just like the perfect storm of all these things happening and having a podcast that I'm really enjoying and it has been successful. I mean, the podcast has been ranked as high as number 17 in all of the United States, over all podcasts um, in the wilderness outdoor category, not in, you know, beauty or what, but like in my category, as high as 13 and one in Canada. And like, I mean, it's been beyond successful, in my opinion, you know, far outweighed any expectation that I ever had for the podcast. So as it's developed, I've just made the decision in the last probably month that I am going to be pursuing Bikes for Death as a career, as a portion of my career. I mean, I have no idea. I have no idea what I can do with a podcast, but 
I know that there's a huge demand and I know that I can do better. That's part of it is like, I've been putting this podcast together with very little time, resources available. I've been going through a lot of stuff in the background and the podcast has almost been an afterthought. Or I shouldn't say an afterthought. It's always been something that I've been seeking and, and working towards. But the time that I've been able to devote to it has been extremely limited. And I realize that what I want to do is my best. I want to make the best podcast that I can. I want to create more content, better content. And actually, you know, the conversation I had with you was kind of the tipping point. And I'm leading up to say that this podcast that we're recording right now may have advertising at the beginning. I don't know. There may be, there may be not. But I do know for a fact that I'm negotiating with some companies and I'm going to be having advertising on the podcast. And I, I think your the conversation I had with you is probably the perfect one to recant is I, w I was talking to you, I was like, man, I have all these ideas of ways I can make money. I could do a route, I could sell merchandise, I could, I don't even remember what my, uh, do a race, like all, you know, all these things to create money. And you're like, Patrick, Patrick, you have, you know, you're spending all your time. You've like created this like thing, you know, if you've created a value here, you're spending all your time doing it. You need to monetize that and make it, you know, pay for itself basically. And then you can focus on, you know, growing it and doing other things and stuff like that. And I mean, it's kind of a simple way to look at it, but it made a lot of sense. I'm like, yeah, this is, I've spent the last two years pouring my heart and soul, literally. I mean, people have been super generous, but I mean, this podcast costs me money to produce. Like I'm not making money at all, cost a ton of money and way, way, way more time. The time that you put into preparing a podcast, seeking out the guests, figuring out what you're going to interview, doing the research so you know what you talk Tra traveling about. Traveling to interview Traveling people. and then editing them and, I mean, marketing them. And, I mean, it's a, it, it's a full-time job, easy. So, I mean, I started the podcast with the idea that it would always just be a hobby, a passion project, my gift to the community. But I think I can still accomplish the same thing. I mean, I'm not going to change anything that I'm doing. I'm only going to partner with brands that I believe in. I'm not going to say who any of them are just yet, just in case, but I'm not going to sell me undies or TurboTax or anything like that. I'm going to partner with companies that I believe in that I think add real value to people. So, I mean, another important thing that I should mention is, yes, I'm going to be having advertising on the podcast, but I'm also going to have a free option, most likely through Patreon, where people can you know, subscribe for like a low amount of money and listen to it ad free, which is basically the same platform that Spotify and so many other places use. It's like there's a paid version and there's a free version. The free version has ads, you know, and you can pick you, you can pick your poison. And, you know, I, I hope that satisfies most people, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you feel about the transition from you know, making it free and open, you know, not behind any kind of paywall or advertising and then going into advertising. Cause I know, I mean, I guess up until this point, you've, you know, prided yourself in making it, you know, free of advertising and open to everyone. And, you know, obviously there's practical considerations like you already spoke to, you know, you, yeah. like you're spending a lot of time and money on this and just realistically, like you do have to get some kind of return on it just to keep it going. And I think that's totally fair, but I'm just kind of curious, you know, how your feelings about it have evolved and changed. 
I feel good about it. We all change and life changes and the opportunities that come around, you couldn't foresee. I think really the most important thing to me was not having my message or the message of my guest be influenced in any way. That's the most important thing is like, you always hear, I mean, one of my gripes with, you know, the news or whatever is like, all you're really trying to do is get eyeballs and you're trying to be controversial so you can get your ratings up so you can get a higher advertising value. Yeah. And then a lot of times you're beholden to your sponsors. Yes. And- yeah, exactly. They're, they're like, oh, well, you can't cuss as much and, you know, or whatever, you know, they're just like, oh, well, that's a topic we shouldn't be talking about and that kind of stuff. So, you know, I believe really that was more at the heart of it is like me being like selling out and just like only doing a podcast so I can create it into a business, right? I got lucky. I feel very, very, very lucky to be in a position where I could even be having this conversation. I mean, everybody knows I've been listening to podcasts. I didn't think anyone's going to listen to it. I didn't tell anybody about it. I had no aspirations that it was going to grow into anything. It was simply just something I wanted to do to, to feel good, to feel like I was contributing something back. I think what I want to do now is continue what I'm doing, but better, more podcasts, better quality podcasts, more, you know, more interviews. I mean, that's, I don't know, but based on what I, the feedback that I get from people, like I opened up on Patreon the other day and said, you know, who would you like? to see me interview, there's a hundred people on there. That's two years worth of interviews right there. If you do one a week, a hundred people, it'll take you two years to knock out. I get messages. I shit you not. I get at least three to five recommendations. Let's just call four on average recommendations a day of, Hey, you should interview me. You should interview that person. Have you been to that bike shot? Have you done this? And I love that, dude. I'm so about it. But the demand is there for more. And the only way I can fill that demand is by valuing the time that I'm putting in to produce that content. It's that simple. Or I can go back and I can do two a month or one a month or whatever, you know? So, I mean, your your question was, how do I feel about it? And I really feel good and I feel excited. I feel super grateful and fortunate to be in this position the only reason I'm even here is because of the listeners and I'm not ignorant to that. And all I can say is that I am going to 100% just be me, be the authentic me, produce the show that I want to produce. And if an advertiser or sponsor doesn't like that, then I'll cancel them. They're not going to cancel me. <laughs> there you go. I mean, that that's, that's the beautiful thing about this is like, it is my podcast. I get to choose who I work with. I get to choose who I interview. Like it, going back to the authenticity of it, that was always the thing that was most important to me. So when I talk about advertising, it's like, I just don't want someone controlling the message. That's the most important That's thing the most to important me. Part, and, yeah. and I'm, I've built the value to where now I'm in a position where I'm not a Joe Rogan, but in this little, you know, world of bi- world of bikepacking, I don't need to have advertisers. The only reason I'm going to bring on sponsors and advertisers is that so I can grow the podcast. Or if that doesn't work out, then I'll just keep doing it for free, but it just won't be as much, you know? And both are both are okay, but I can't imagine I'm an entrepreneurial person. So while I didn't seek this out to be a business, I've always, um, I mean, for people, I guess we didn't really talk about it much, but I didn't graduate high school. I didn't go to college and I've been an entrepreneur for the last 20 years. I've started and failed many businesses. I've done all kinds of things. And, um, being me, being an entrepreneur, being somewhat business minded and having this podcast and this platform, 
I'm uniquely qualified to combine those into a... <laughs> I had to slip into my business uh, business mode there real quick. But I mean, you know, it's just, again, it's it's me. I, I'm an entrepreneur. You know, I didn't intend for it to be this, but I've created something of value. I want to do better. I know I can. And sponsors are really the only way I can make it happen. So we're going to give it a go. Yeah. And I'm excited about it. Good. And good for you. It sounds like um, all good things ahead. So I'm happy for you. Please don't cancel me. <laughs> I'm not going to. <laughs> I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> oh, but I'm not on social media, so I don't have the power to cancel people. So. <laughs> All right. What did we miss? Yeah, I was going to ask you, is it, did we miss anything? Um, is there anything you, else you wanted to cover? No, I just talk too much and I'm ready to stop talking. The only thing I want to say is I appreciate uh, you facilitating the conversation. The first one we did, I actually think went pretty well. And it's not an easy thing to do to like have these conversations all the time. And that's what it's um, about. Yeah. No, I, but I appreciate, I appreciate you uh, coming to facilitate the conversation. Good job. I'm, (laughs) I'm happy to do it. And I, I enjoy, uh, what do they call it? Smacking my gums as much as you do. So when we get in a room together, we tend to talk a lot and annoy our partners. Well, listen, I mean, we really, the truth is, is there's quite a few questions we didn't get to already over two hours. But so the last thing I'd say, I guess, is just, I do appreciate everybody who like sent in questions and everything and gave us an opportunity to sit here and flap our jaw and, and just, and, and talk. And it it is cool. It's so cool. I'm never ignorant to the fact that there's people out there listening in their homes, listening on their bikes. You know, I got Bo that I just gave a shout out to. That's a seven-year-old girl who listens to the podcast. I mean, you know, it's, it's great. It's great. So I appreciate that. Yeah. We got some, some very good and some thoughtful questions. And that's that's cool to know that people spend some time thinking about some questions yeah. that they wanted to know about. And that's that's really good stuff. So hopefully we did a good job answering them. And if we didn't answer your question, shoot me a message on Instagram and I'll make sure I do it. <laughs> Cheers, man. All right. Thanks, boy. Okay, okay. I hope y'all enjoyed that episode. We can talk, that's for sure. So if you made it all the way to the end, thanks for sticking around. I want to remind you that if you want to support the show, head over to bikesordeath.com and don't forget to support the advertisers and the sponsors of this episode. Head over to Rock Guys, enter their raffle. It is for a good cause and you get a chance to win an awesome custom frame bag. And also head over to gooder.com forward slash bikesordeath. Check out some of the sunglasses that I'm wearing and pick up yourself like one or two or 10 pair because you can afford it because they don't cost a million dollars. All right, everyone. Next week, I have another exciting episode with Talib. Talib created a black history ride in the city of Austin. And I tried something completely different this time. So we actually went on his black history ride and recorded that podcast as we went. So at every stop, had a little segment and then stitching it all together and edit. And uh, I think it's going to be really awesome. And I actually think that I'm going to hopefully do some more of that style of interview and actually get out there on the trail or on the road or whatever it may be with some guests and more interactive, more immersive. It was a lot of fun. We had some people join along in the ride and ride along with us. I'm liking this and probably want to do some more of it. So let me know what y'all think. All right. Well, I also want to share a breaking news story that just got passed down by the CDC, the Center for Dam Cycling. 
It turns out that almost everything that ails you can be cured through one simple activity. Do you know what it is? Of course not, because the CDC just broke it. I'm bringing you breaking news. And here it is. All you got to do to stay super healthy, super wealthy, and super wise, it'll fix everything that ails you, guaranteed 100% money back guarantee. All you got to do is go ride your damn bike. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your boss, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself, on the living room shelf, bikes. 